Over these past several weeks, we've spent a great deal of time focusing on faith. Now, there are suggestions everywhere for where to place your faith. I've been encouraged of late to trust the experts. Well, the challenge with that, as you've seen, is that there are a myriad of experts with differing views on just about any matter before you. What experts are you tempted to have faith in? Let me caution you. Get into the Word so the Word can get into you. So that's what we've endeavored to do over these many weeks, to keep building one another up in our most holy faith. As we look into the mirror of God's Word and ask His precious Holy Spirit to bring fruit in our lives so that others might be drawn to Jesus. We started this Legacies of Genuine Faith series through Hebrews 10. We started in that way with a declaration, we are of the faith, we're not of those who shrink back on February the 2nd, can you believe that? With no idea that our individual and collective faith would be put to the test through this global experience with the coronavirus threat. Well, today we exit this series with a glimpse of the opening verses of Hebrews 12. We need to be reminded that Christianity is not a cult of hero worship, as one author puts it. We may need that reminder regularly, now more than ever, in this age of competing internet one-upsmanship services. It's centered on Jesus Christ, Christianity is, and it exists because of His death and resurrection. The great cloud of witnesses that we have walked with over recent weeks encourages and inspires us, but the one who keeps us in the race is Jesus Christ alone. With that in mind and with our goal of moving forward in faith and not getting deterred or drifting, let's look at God's recipe for faithfulness. Take your Bibles if you got them and let's look back again at Hebrews 12 verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, our author and preacher of Hebrews here is clearly using an athletic metaphor. This clues us into the fact that he was probably writing to a congregation of Hellenized Christians in one of the great cities of the empire at the time. Athletic metaphors would make the most sense where games were most prominence in a city like Alexandria, for example. This great race would have been run in a stadium, but this truly amazing race wink, is one that takes place in a stadium filled with the enduring saints who've already finished running. They're not just spectators. I posted a video on um, our website, on the blog, that was produced by Logos that gives some great insight into the athletic imagery used in the New Testament. If you want to nerd out on such things, just go to gracecovenantcharlotte.com, look at a recent blog entry, and you'll see it there. Here's your first point for the sermon this morning. Write down the word strip. (laughs) Strip, that's right. It's actually perfect imagery for this athletic metaphor. It's uh, contextually and historically accurate as well. The runner would strip off anything not absolutely necessary for winning. So if we look at the text, what is it that we need to strip off? Well, the first 
word to write down is hindrances. Two things to strip off. Hindrances. The writer would point us to hindrances. Every weight, every impediment. The word is onkos. That's the word here in the original language. A hindrance is something otherwise good, but it weighs you down spiritually. It could be a friendship, an association, an event, a place, a habit, a pleasure, an entertainment, an honor. But if this otherwise good thing drags you down, you need to strip it away. Spurgeon would write, well, unloaded, we shall find the race taxing all our powers. Weighted, we shall be doomed to failure. Well, I don't want to run a race that I know I can't finish. I want to run a race that I've got a shot at finishing. And I can't finish if I'm weighted down. Strip off the hindrances. The psalmist would say in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Strip off those things that aren't necessarily bad, but might be in the way and weighing you down. What are the things that you can't stop thinking about? (laughs) What else do we need to strip off? Look at the text. The things that so easily beset us. I'm thinking of King James, right? Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Wow. So closely. The original word here evokes an imagery of an ambush or being encircled by the tentacles of an enemy. Pet sins must go first. Pet sins are the most loved, and pet sins have the most power to hinder. David would write, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, strip off the hindrances. Strip off those pet sins, those sins that you love that are not big deals. Oh, Pastor Chad, that's it? Just get rid of sin and distraction? Sounds easy. No, (laughs) no. The easy thing is for you to stay stuck where you are. The easy thing is to exhaust yourself on a treadmill at your own pace, to keep doing what you're doing. That's not moving you forward. We who are of the faith do not shrink back. Blood, sweat, and tears are sometimes required. We set ourselves up to move forward, or we can't complain about being stuck, isolated, lonely, not hearing from God. Here's a serious question for you. What are the hindrances? What are the pet sins that are clinging so closely in your life right now? I'll give you a moment to write down one or two or make a mental note of one or two. What are the hindrances, the pet sins clinging so closely in your life right now? We'll come back to that at the end of our time together this morning. Jesus would say to his young disciples who were starting to walk in obedience, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in your heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whatever the Lord puts on you won't get in the way. So after we strip off the weights that slow us down and untangle from the sins that cling too tightly to us and trip us up, it's time to run, (laughs) y'all. Look at the text, Hebrews 12. Again, let's look at the verse. Hebrews 12, verse 1, second part of the verse. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Write down the word run. So you wrote down strip. Now you write down the word run. And it's not just running any old way you want to or any direction you want to. We want to run the right way. The first note there, let us run with endurance. Do you see it? We have some avid runners in our church family. The Dones are the ones that are coming to mind. They're even competing against each other right now to see who can get the most sponsors for their next run. Um, A couple of years ago, Ashley and I ran a couple of 5Ks. Now, that was a great accomplishment for us. Um, Baby steps, Dones. Don't don't make fun of us. We aren't runners. But I learned early on that the way that I stretched and what I ate made a huge difference in my pace and my endurance. We endure because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This is not a corruptible crown that we are running for. We have a goal in mind. Like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, we also have a faith with an exceptional and an expectation of a future blessing. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul would write, Do you not know that all in a race the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Now they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching, Paul would say to others, I myself should become disqualified. So we run the right way with endurance. And we run, second thing, the race that is set before us. You've all seen it before, right? Maybe on America's Funniest Home Videos or a YouTube montage. The kid who takes off in the wrong direction at the Little League game, right? He gets a hit, everybody screams, and he goes left instead of right. Everybody yells, the kid's confused, somebody cries. We know something's not right, but even though we have empathy, we're laughing at him. (laughs) This isn't a find-your-own-path kind of spirituality. No, I know for those of us who are watching Locally, our American skin crawls when our individuality is threatened in any way, but no athlete can compete without discipline, and no Christian can succeed without it either. Paul would say in our previous study we've done in Philippians, not that I've already obtained or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. After we strip off the weights that slow us down 
and untangle from the sins, our pet sins that cling too tightly to us and trip us up. We run with endurance, a pace that is sustainable. The race set before us. There's sometimes the pace will be fast, sometimes it'll be slow, but our goal is the long game. Now Spurgeon gives a great perspective on here. I quote him again. If every weight of care must be laid aside and every rag of sin, who is sufficient for these things? How can we poor, limping mortals run in such a race as this? Even the starting is beyond us. How much more must perseverance in it outreach our strength? He continues. The race that is set before us most clearly reveals, watch this, our helplessness and hopelessness apart from divine grace. Let me stop the quote for a minute. I don't think we like that as self-made men and women. But the race of holiness and patience, while it demands our vigor, displays our weakness. We are compelled, even before we take the first step in running, to bow the knee and cry unto the strong for strength. We don't dare retreat from the contest, but how can we begin a struggle for which we are so unfit? Who will help us? To whom shall we look? Does not all this very admirably introduce us to the next verse, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the originator and perfecter of faith? Well, let's head toward that final thought this morning. We strip, we run, and then let's look at the text for our third point. Hebrews 12, 2. Look at the text with me, please. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, the third word to write down is focus. So you strip, you run, and you focus. The cloud of witnesses mentioned in verse 1, the Christian life is like a relay race. Persons of faith who have run before us have passed the baton to us and now watch us carry on, but they are not our focus. You run the race. That's implicit there. You see it? Run the race with endurance. We are the subject. It's implicit, but we are not the focus. Jesus is the founder and perfecter. As we run, we can look back and see how Jesus ran his race, and when we look ahead, we see that He is exalted. Jesus is our example. He's our starter. He's our finisher. He is our focus. Hebrews 2, the writer would say, It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Sound familiar, right? Our reflection verse. You made him a little lower, a little while lower rather than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. He's talking about the Lord now, Jesus Christ. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everything, everyone. Watch this. For it was fitting that he whom... And by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The founder and the perfecter. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this so that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. I can weakly identify with Paul in Colossians 1 who wrote, Can we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Wow, I've got to keep my focus on Jesus as your pastor. But more than that, I've got to keep my focus on Jesus as a husband, as a father, as a son of God. Can I touch the next two verses since they lie in context so beautifully here? Very quickly, I don't have time to unpack them this morning, but look quickly as we consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If you focus on him, you won't grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of your blood. Remember that God wants you to take account of Jesus, that word there. I won't try to pronounce it, but it's a great uh, Greek word that means to take account of, that consider him, to, to weary and lose heart are descriptions of those in classical Greek comp- uh, competitions who would relax and collapse along the way. Th- they didn't train well, they didn't prepare well, and they would they would just collapse along the way because they got weary and lost heart. That's a competition word there. When we take account of how much Jesus endured, we'll realize the suffering and the hardships are no excuse for our giving up and dropping by the way. I said years ago, I'm so glad Jesus didn't burn out on the way to the cross. Here's a great quote I finished with by William Barclay. That determination, unhasting, and unresting, unhurrying, and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on and which refuses to be deflected. Obstacles will not daunt it. Delays will not depress it. Discouragements will not take its hope away. It will halt neither for discouragement from within nor from opposition from without. Strip, run, focus. Don't miss the superb wisdom of this passage. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to run this race. You need to be totally absorbed with Jesus and his word. In order to consciously focus and meditate on Jesus, you'll need to turn away from the things that distract you. This is why I encourage you to read and reread the Gospels. This is why our worship must be Christocentric. This is why we sing and we cry in Christ alone. Let's pray together as we endeavor to strip, run, and focus. Earlier, I asked you the question, what are the hindrances? What are the pet sins that are clinging closely in your life? During the moments ahead, I'm going to ask you to repent of those things. Take them to God. Ask him to help you hate them as much as he does. You see, anything that muddles or muddies your affection for Christ needs to be cast down. Anything that you can't stop thinking about, anything you can't do without is an idol. You can't run 
the right way with endurance the race that is set before you unless you strip off the hindrances and strip off those pet sins. This great cloud of witnesses is cheering us on. These flawed, afflicted, imperfect men and women are pointing us to Christ. He is our reward. Father, in the stillness and the quietness of this moment, even though we are not gathered together, Lord, I pray for a moment of confession. I pray for Holy Spirit conviction in each and every one of our lives right now that you would shine the spotlight of your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word on those things in our lives that are tripping us up, that are keeping us from moving forward in faith. Lord, we want to run the race the right way. We want to run with endurance. And Father, we take a moment right now to confess those things to you that are in the way. Lord, help our motivation and our focus to be you and all that you are. Help us to fix our eyes on you as we spend time in your word and meditate on you. Lord, I pray that you're the first thought on our minds when we wake up in the morning, the underlying pulse of our thinking throughout the day, and the last thought on our mind as we lay our heads down at night. Fill us with your spirit. Use us. Help us to run the race that you've set before us as individuals, as families, as a church for your glory and your honor. Let the church say, amen. May God be with you as you do the work today and this week to strip, to run, and focus. God bless your church family.